Welcome to episode 54 of the Cyber Guy podcast. I'm your host, retired FBI Supervisory Special Agent Darren Mott. In this episode, we interview some more folks at the 2021 National Cybersecurity Summit, talk about some current threat issues, and talk about a new venture I'm working with on YouTube. So happy Halloween weekend, everyone. Tomorrow is Halloween. So for those of you going out, enjoy your trick-or-treating with your kids, or if you trick-or-treat yourself, good luck with that. Also keep in mind that this time of year, as we get close to Thanksgiving, we get close to Christmas and Halloween kicks in, there is a large influx generally of email-type crime campaigns where folks, well, folks, where bad guys send emails focused on the current holiday season and try to get you to click on links, open attachments, think you won, or you were given coupons at different um, retailers and things like that. I've been getting a lot of those lately as far as the, the retail um, coupon items. I'm actually going to pull up my, my Gmail real quick just to take a look at one that I got today. If I haven't already deleted it, it was from Sam's Club. And it's kind of interesting because... The way that they do it, for me anyway, makes it pretty obvious that it's a scam message. But for a lot of folks, you're not going to recognize that it's a scam message. You think it's actually from Sam's Club, especially if you have a Sam's Club account. So let me find that real quick. Uh, Actually, I got one from CVS as well. So it says, confirmation receipts. Congratulations, you've been selected to receive an exclusive offer. Complete this 30-second survey about your experience to get whatever this offer is. And it's got an unsubscribe at the bottom. But if you look at it close enough, the unsubscribe and the piece at the bottom is clearly copy and pasted out of a perhaps a legitimate um, CVS email that someone, that a bad guy had gotten. But if you look at the CVS email in the in the um, the email header, it says the, the email address is E-U-H-E-Y-V-K dash blah, 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 no reply device operational dot site. That is clearly not a CVS account. This is clearly a bogus email that's trying to get me to click on something within the email. Um, if you put your you know, it, it actually in this case, I'm, as I'm looking at it, it looks like the whole the whole picture is a scam thing. So if you click anywhere in that, you're going to go to a website that may cause you to download malware or what have you. But just be aware, those things are coming, especially Thanksgiving, Christmas. You're going to see a lot of Black Friday, a lot of Black Cyber Monday type emails that, you know, that you get excited for the holiday season. You're going to click on those without linking, without looking. Make sure you look, verify the email before you click on something. Because as I've said, someone always clicks the link. And if you're listening to this podcast, then probably you're aware of all of these things, or at least have heard me say it many times. For your family members that don't listen to the podcast, aren't as up-to-date on cyber issues as you may be, just let them know. Be careful what they click on in emails. So let me go to another article I found that was very interesting that had to do with, um, actually, uh, it had to do with a new vulnerability within Google Chrome. So I know a lot of people use Google Chrome. It's a very popular browser, obviously, because, you know, Google provides a lot of services that people use. I use Gmail Um as my main email account and things like that. So obviously Google has kind of ensnared a lot of us in their their online 
you know, community, their, their, their corporate world, if you will. So this particular email, um, this particular news story, rather, comes from ThreatPost. It's by Elizabeth Montabano. It's from yesterday, October 29th. So it says, malware delivered via a compromised website on Chrome browsers can bypass user account controls to infect systems and steal sensitive data such as credentials and cryptocurrency. Crooks behind a newly identified malware campaign are targeting Windows 10, with malware that can infect systems via a technique that cleverly bypasses Windows cybersecurity protection called User Account Control, or UAC. Researchers from Rapid7 recently identified the campaign and warned the goal of the attackers is to extricate sensitive data and steal cryptocurrency from the targeted infected PCs. So basically, you know, this is another thing where you know, if you go to a compromised website and you're using a Chrome browser and you have Windows 10, this can happen to you. Now, you know, where is the website? I'm not sure if this article actually even gives the website. Obviously, it's not going because it doesn't want to go, want you to go to it. But it says attackers are using a compromised website specifically crafted to exploit a version of the Chrome browser to deliver a, the malicious payload. Researchers found investigators into infected users' Chrome browser history file shows redirect to a number of suspicious domains and other unusual redirect change before initial infection. So with that, if you're using Chrome, obviously you want to check and see if there is a new update to Chrome and update that. Um, and so it actually, okay, so it says the malicious Chrome browser updated linked to a Windows application package called the MSIX type file. The file name is, it's got a funky name, O-E-L-G-F-E-R. I can't, you know, it's just, it's crazy. And it's hosted at a weird site, whatever. All that being said, again, this just goes to show you have to be careful where you're browsing, what you're clicking on, what you're downloading, um, and especially what you use your computers for. And the interesting part to this that I'll note has to do with cryptocurrency. If you are involved in cryptocurrency activity, so you have, and there's nothing wrong with that. If you have, I have cryptocurrency, I have four different crypto um, type coins. I have Bitcoin, Litecoin, Stellar, and Ripple. But I store all of that information on an external, what's called cold storage, just a little thumb drive. So all of my keys and all of my Bitcoin addresses and so on, all my crypto addresses are on that particular thumb drive. And unless it's plugged into a computer, you can't get to it. It's, you can't, this particular, if I had a Windows 10 machine, I don't, I've, I use um, Apple, but if I had a Windows 10 machine and I got this particular infection through a Chrome browser, no one could get my cryptocurrency because the information is not stored anywhere on my computer. But a lot of people store their crypto data on their computer because they just, uh, you know, it's if they're just getting into it, if you're kind of a newbie into the crypto world, you haven't looked into the ways to secure your information or to secure your accounts on your on your crypto sites. So if you, put, let's say, use Coinbase. So use Coinbase and you store all of your information on Coinbase, which you certainly can use. But then you also store your login information on your computer. If bad guys get into your computer, they find that that Coinbase login, the password, the username, all that kind of stuff. They could theoretically, if you don't have multi-factor authentication set up, get into your Coinbase account and transfer all of your cryptocurrency to another address and you will never get it back. As law enforcement is not going to help you. You know, you're going to lose all of that cryptocurrency. So this is a good article to make the point that if you use, if you are engaged in cryptocurrency, then you want to make sure that you offload all of your cryptocurrency onto what's called cold storage. These devices are fairly inexpensive. You can do your own your own searching for the one that works for you. Um, and it's pretty easy to use. You just want to make sure that you, I, what I do is store mine in a, in a vault because I keep my passwords with that because it's, it's kind of, it is a little 
created diff- it's a little difficult by design to get into the drive to make sure you can access your cryptocurrency so i kind of keep the stuff to log in with it which is probably not the best security stuff but i put it in the safe if someone's got my safe i got bigger issues than whether my passwords are with my cold storage usb drive so i don't have a lot anyway so if you're not to lose it it wouldn't be that big a deal but i say all that just to make the point that if you're engaged in cryptocurrency you want to make sure you offload that because threats like this targeting of cryptocurrency accounts through malware on browsers is a new type of attack vector and you're going to see a lot more of this and you want to make sure that you go ahead and try to protect that information so my interviews this week are with uh, two gentlemen from a company called Checkmarks, Rusty Sides and Robert Talley. And their company does software vulnerability testing, which is an interesting approach to looking for vulnerabilities within software, trying to resolve it so that when if you are a company that does um, software development, then you are reducing your vulnerability so you don't have to patch it as much. But I'll let them explain exactly what they do. The other interview is with the CEO of a company here in Huntsville called Zeiston. Uh, his name is Jared Hardy, and they do hardware vulnerability testing. So two interesting approaches to vulnerability identification and mitigation from two different companies and the way that they do it. I hope you enjoy them. All right, so I'm joined now by Rusty Sides and Robert Talley from Checkmarks. Gentlemen, thanks for stopping by the Cyber Guy booth. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So let's talk a little bit about, first, before we get into what Checkmarks is and all the stuff that you do and pitching your company, what is what got you into the cyber world? Were you, so you're a young, Rust, uh, Robert, you're younger, so um, I'll come to you second, but Rusty, you're more my age, maybe. So did you, was cyber something, and, and cyber is a nebulous term, I understand. So, I mean, you got IT, OT, and pick your, but the cyber world, the cybersecurity world, was it something you started off at at the beginning of the career, or was it like the rest of us where you kind of fell into it eventually, said this is probably something I should do because that's important? Yeah, so I actually started out my career as a software developer. Uh, I spent the first half of my career writing software, lots of different languages, lots of different technologies. And uh, as I kind of advanced in my uh, career from a, a programming perspective and had done everything from mainframe assembler, went into the whole client server software, and then the .NET move with uh, the .NET beta, and then web technologies. Uh, I was approached by a company that uh, said, look, we're looking for somebody that's got the skills to to basically know a lot of different languages, but we'll teach you the security aspect of it. It's easier to teach a developer how to write secure software than it is to take, a uh, say, a network engineer and teach him how to code. Mm-hmm. So it worked out well. I started doing cybersecurity consulting um, about uh, 12 years ago. Okay. And uh, ever since then, I've been doing everything from cybersecurity consulting to, to you know, helping uh, sell products in terms of application security, and that kind of led me into check marks. So I'm going to say you have not been lacking for job opportunities. No, no, not at all. All right. (laughs) right. So Robert, let's go to you real quick. What got you involved in cybersecurity? Yeah, so uh, I'm actually a recently graduated college student. I just graduated from uh, Swanee, which is a uh, university very close to here. It's uh, up near Mont Eagle in Tennessee. And uh, honestly, one of my friends works for Checkmarks, uh, and so they were hiring for a new role, a new sales development role on the government sales side. And uh, I have a little bit of experience with coding, but I'm definitely more of a people person. And you know, the the opportunity came up, and it seems it's a great company to work for. And so I was, you know, very lucky to jump at the opportunity. I, I've only been there for two months, but. I've been really loving uh, being there so far. Well, let me ask you this question because I haven't talked to a lot of folks in your position. So I'm going to come back to you, Rusty. Don't worry. But so you have a four-year degree, I assume. Yes, sir. So 
And did you come out of college with certif certifications as well or just the degree? No, just the degree. And so now you're focusing towards the certifications, right? I, they haven't even briefed me on any of that yet. Uh, okay, fair so, enough. Yeah. Oh, so, let me ask, so let me ask you this, Rusty. So on that point, bringing in a guy like, like Robert, with who's got a degree, obviously, which is important, but no certifications, what is your company's focus on that? Are you trying, do you want them to be certified at some point, I assume? And what are the, what are the important certifications within the field you're in that they should focus on? For, for like kids that are, that are college seniors and say, I want to do cybersecurity, but I don't have any certifications because I've got to get a degree. Because my son was in that boat where he, didn't, he, he had some classes where if he'd taken the security plus test at the end, he could have got it, but he just didn't do it. So, right. so that was a, a yeah. goof on both our parts for me to not say get that certification. But so what is so what is important for do you think in the security field from a certification lineage perspective? And I think a lot of it is very much career path driven. But I think uh, your safe bet is Security Plus as a as foundational basic. That's always a good place to start. Mm -hmm. That opens up a lot of doors for you in the career field with the security industry. And then as you start to get more specialized, if you're looking more for kind of a networking background, then there's a lot of certifications that are very specific to that world. Um, however, what we focus on is really more the application security landscape. Um, and the certifications that fit that is obviously generic CISSP. That's always uh, the, the big granddaddy that fits all domains, but it's almost too broad in the sense that you sure. need something more specific. So there's the CSSLP, and that one is a little more specific to application security and one that we generally will offer for uh, any of our engineers that are at Checkmarks that are looking to kind of expand and get certified. Um, beyond that, um, any kind of application security training, uh, any kind of context in terms of the fact that we actually have our own certification program at Checkmarks uh, called the Checkmarks Certified Engineer. Um, that really helps kind of get a good understanding and good context. <laughs> Sorry about the background sound. They put me yep. by the game. So yeah, that's all right. They're, <laughs> they're playing Connect. fun with uh, Bubbles yeah. over there, it looks like. Yeah, so. Bubbles and Connect 4 they're playing. So. <laughs> Sorry. So so let's talk about your your company, Checkmarks, and yes. application security. What does that mean exactly, and what do you provide, and if, if a company, why does a company need it? Sure. So we are specifically targeting towards developers. And developers are looking to write secure code. Um, so one of the things they want to do is they want to find the vulnerabilities in their source code before they deliver it to a production environment. So you'll often hear the term shifting security left. That's exactly where we fit in, where you can scan your source code early and often and find the vulnerabilities down to the source code level, the line number of the actual vulnerability. And then we have other products that kind of work with that product that are doing things like checking for any kind of open source software you might be using, if there's any published vulnerabilities associated with that. Um, and then we have an education component called code bashing, which it opens up the world to application developers taking gamified training to really understand how do I write code securely? And it takes them through uh, scenario-based situations where we have generally Bob and Alice, with Bob being the bad guy, Alice being the good guy, and uh, seeing how Bob is trying to hack Alice while Alice is just trying to use the application that she's being paid for to work on every day. And it's gamified in the sense that as they're going in and learning how to write code securely, uh, they get to kind of compete with their peers and see how they do and that type of so thing. So let me ask you this question. So what what is it within software code that makes it vulnerable? I mean, why, so let's take, I'm gonna take Apple for an example. I, I, I'm just because they came out with that big forced entry vulnerability issue that they had to patch everything for. What is it within software code that creates that vulnerability? What, it, what, do, what are hackers looking for within the code 
to compromise it if they can or to create vulnerabilities towards it. So they're generally looking for places in the application where when the application was written, you didn't think about that attack vector. Hmm. So while you might write a, a login authentication platform, you're looking for certain input. And if it matches that input, then great. We've made the happy path, as we say. It logs you in. Right. But we didn't think about, oh, what if uh, I sit on the keyboard and it puts all this gibberish out there? How's it going to handle that? You know? Oh, okay. <laughs> so you got to think about uh, more than just the happy path. You really need to think about if someone was malicious or if someone was trying to use the application in a way it wasn't designed, how is that application going to handle that? Okay. So, and is there a common flaw within code writing that you find? Or is it... So I would think that for all the clients that you're looking at all of their code, are there any similarities in those vulnerabilities? Like if you had just done this, you probably wouldn't have had this problem, but maybe they didn't know. But is there is there that commonality or is it all distinctive based on the need? So one thing we've been fighting for years is defined by the OS top 10 types of findings. And one that's always near the top of that list is input mm -hmm. validation. If, uh, if customers really treated input properly and didn't trust input from a user but sanitized it every single time they took input, that would solve a whole bunch of the, a lot of the major top 10 issues that are in that OOPS list. However, the landscape is changing and uh, applications are now modernizing to where we're looking at more cloud native technologies, we're looking at more API interfaces versus your traditional uh, monolithic applications where you're writing the whole application in one big go. So as we're adapting and moving forward with these new modern technologies, uh, we're having to add extra protections to take care of these new attack vectors. So how does it work for a, a client that, that comes to check marks and says, hey, I want you to take a look and see what I'm doing? Do they, do you have AI that runs that or do you all have to, do you have engineers that have to go through line by line and look for, for the, how does that, how is that vulnerability detected? I mean, if it's a proprietary methodology, you certainly don't have to tell me that, but um, what's the, how does it work? Yeah, no, it's a good question. And, and generally what we're offering is a tool for them to help and use this tool in order for them to do that type of analysis. But we do have some, a services arm as well that can go and do that work for maybe the smaller business that doesn't have a security team to actually go and use a tool to do this type of thing. And uh, with those services, we, we've got the R&D expertise to be able to know what the industry trends are. Uh, we've identified quite a few zero days that have not been published into the the, the MITRE's uh, common vulnerability enumeration and these types of things that we'll go and publish our own version of. Um, and then as we report on those and, and give them that extra expertise, they're able to leverage that in addition to what's already been published. So when you find the vulnerability, do you tell them how to fix the code they need to put in to fix it? Yes, I think that is probably the most important aspect of it, is there's a lot of things out there that can tell you, yeah, it's broke. But it's, <laughs> right, yeah. not it's much better to, to give true remediation advice and say, you know, do it this way and you're not going to have that problem again. And we try to reinforce that with uh, just-in-time training, like I was talking earlier, mm -hmm. where you can actually go straight from a vulnerability that was found from our software into a five to seven minute lesson that uh, you kind of learn it and retain it better than if you took a long all-day course and didn't remember half of what you so do you find when you're, so your clients, so I assume that your clients write a lot of applications. So they send an application in, you find, hey, this is your vulnerability, here's how you fix it. Yes. Send it back. So when they create another application and send it in, have you found that they've done a nice job of correcting that issue on that next line of code? There might be something else, but that stand, like they take the login issue. So they find a lot login, the happy path issue. 
do you find that they have a, they do a good job of correcting that down the line, or do they come back with the same issues? I know you said that they, they should learn with that with that with your tool. Do you find they do learn? It's kind of like spear fishing, like you do like no before does their whole spear fish their fishing thing, and you always get people that always click the link. Yeah, someone right. always clicks a link. Yep. Do you find that someone always writes the bad code? So generally, what we find is yes, you do see improvement when you're working with the same group. Right. The problem is we have such a high turnover in the development world. Uh, you're sense. working with one team one week, and then a month later, I'm having to go retrain them on how to use the product <laughs> because it's a whole new team out there. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if we could keep the same bodies in the same seats long enough to, to actually solve the problems, I think it would be. But hopefully, we're making an impact across the industry to where it doesn't matter which company they've gone to, they've gone. Uh, and become a secure coder rather than just someone that's going to go and write code that's vulnerable. And have you found, so how's the, how's the um, hiring pool for you guys? Like trying to find engineers to be able to do what you're doing. I got to believe there's a, there's a huge training learning curve for that. They're not coming in as, I mean, some may be coming in as vulnerability testers, but what do you find that learning curve to be? Are you finding it hard to find employees? Is the, is the job market as bad for you as it is for everybody else in the sense that I mean, there's just a lot of a lot of lot of lot of jobs, not a lot of people to fill those jobs. Yeah, it's a very competitive market. Um, I'm hiring right now. I'm a sales engineer manager here okay. at Checkmark, so obviously I'm looking for sales engineers that have a, a background in application security, and it's really trying to find that skill set of someone who understands security and understands development, uh, and put those together. That really kind of fits the bill. And uh, there's definitely a need for that. So anybody that's going to school right now trying to pick a major, going into cybersecurity is very good. And place. where are you guys located? Um, we're actually headquartered in Tel Aviv, in Israel. Okay. Um, but we're a global company, so we've got gotcha. offices all over the world. So everybody can work, people can work from home, I assume? Yes, uh, we support remote work. All right, so, so Robert, where do you live? I live in D.C. Oh, sorry, go ahead. You live? I live in Arlington, Virginia. Okay, so the I got you. Area. I got you. So you went from school down here to Arlington? Yes, exactly. Ooh. Do you miss the South? Uh, yeah, yeah, obviously. Uh, you know, I miss the people, and uh, it's obviously nice with the, the warmer climate. Sure. But uh, I'm also from the D.C. area originally, so I did move oh, back home. I got you, and, okay. And I'm on the government sales side, so uh, being there is definitely uh, a plus. So you go out to a new client. Do they know they need your service? How, mu how much selling do you have to do? And you don't have to get into specifics, but and do they find... I assume you have a lot of customer satisfaction at the end because all of a sudden their application now works better and is not as vulnerable. Yeah, so it, it really depends by the, the company that I'm talking to, but I'd say by and large, uh, or the government agency, uh, you know, the government is beginning to really start to push for a need for uh, application security across the table. And so uh, usually uh, with us, since the, the sales cycle is typically a lot longer, since there are contracts that are already in place, it's more about trying to, to sell them on a specific aspect of our product that differentiates us from a product that they're already using. Then there's also, since there's not that much green space in the federal or the, the state side uh, legislature, it's definitely a, a little bit of, uh, it, it's funny how you you know you go across different, different avenues of people where you know, you talk to salespeople like myself who really have almost, you know, no expertise in this. And then you also talk to people like Rusty who, who could run circles around me uh, with how much they know about the products. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And I will say this. I mean, I come from a government background. I was 20 years in the FBI and we developed a lot of applications. I guarantee you a lot of vulnerabilities in those applications developed because <laughs> that was not those guys' primary job. Well, gentlemen, where do we find Checkmarks? What's your website? It's uh, checkmarks.com. That's with an X at the end of it. And um, 
that you can find all of the information about our products out there. Obviously, you can reach out to us through the website, right. get a free trial. And if you go to codebashing.com, that's the application security training aspect. We do have some free lessons out there for you to try it out. And if you're interested, we can set you up a free trial. And if you're a college senior and it's something of interest in there, I assume you have a careers page. Absolutely. We all right. Careers page. Great. Thanks, gentlemen. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. All right, so I'm joined by Jared Hardy, the CEO of Zeiston Technologies. Zeiston, or is it just Zeiston? Technology, yeah. got it right. Okay, yeah. excellent. So I appreciate you taking the time to talk, Jared. Thanks for coming over. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your your career arc. You're, okay. I'm, you're a young guy, I can right, tell. Right. So had to, when you started down the cyber world, was that where you started? You said, hey, I like computers, or you know, I want to go into computer science or information technology right. somehow. Kind of talk us through how you got from point A to where you are today. Yeah. So for for me, it was it was a little different. So I was I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And for a little bit, I thought I actually wanted to be a pharmacist. And that's because my mother is a nurse and she has a background in um, medicine. However, uh, my father had been an engineer for his entire career, and uh, he identified back in maybe 2011 time frame, maybe 2010, that cybersecurity was going to start being a really big thing. And now here we are today, right, sitting at Cyber Summit here in 2021. So he encouraged me to link up with a couple of his engineer buddies, and they took me out to a conference called DEF CON. And for us in the cyber community, some are probably pretty aware of it, but some aren't. Um, what got me into it is when I went out to that conference, one of the talks that they were giving at the conference was uh, done by a gentleman named Barnaby Jack. He's sort of a, a major figure in the space. And uh, he was able to demonstrate how with the right background, skill set, and tool set, he was able to uh, reverse engineer a pacemaker that somebody would actually have inside of their heart or inside their body. and. Uh, with some tooling and with some understanding of the firmware that exists on that pacemaker, he's able to demonstrate that he could uh, surge all the power out of that pacemaker, which would essentially melt a person's heart. I think the podcast yeah, or the talk was just literally called maybe how to get away with murder. It was very edgy. And <laughs> sure. at that point I decided this is where I'm going. Okay. All right. So what, so what happened after that? Where'd you, where'd you go to college? What was your major? Right. Talk. So, um, I went to community college for a little bit. And then after that, I went to Athens state and then FIT. And now I'm currently working on my PhD with Auburn, all oh, in computer awesome. science, all computer science. I always think for anybody who does this field, at least if you want to get into the area of cyber that we do, um, at Zeiston, then the big things are computer science, electrical engineering, uh, computer engineering, and uh, getting certs like the OSCP are all very good. And I, and that's not necessarily just my opinion. Um, that's what the NSA calls uh, cyber operations versus cyber, I think, posturing. And cyber posturing is more that IT, network administration, network defense, firewall defense. Maybe you get some RMF in there. Maybe you get some CMC in there. Um, obviously, we have a lot of that here at uh, Cyber Summit, and then they have this other section of cybersecurity they call cyber operations, and that's where you start getting this uh, revert firmware, reverse engineering, um, binary reverse engineering, where you actually go in, find vulnerabilities, and try and make them work for you. Great. So let's talk about your company, Zeiston. What's it do? What's the what's your special area? Who do you serve? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. So we we do what's called embedded systems pen testing. 
And that is just a blanket term that says that we'll take any device, maybe even this microphone or your your uh, audio equipment, doesn't matter, and take the firmware out of it and then reverse engineer it and find vulnerabilities in that, develop exploits for them, so then we can control that device. And um, a good use case for why that can be substantial here in Huntsville is a lot of the background here is DOD, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're, if you're dealing with a, a missile that's in a silo that's hooked up to some rack or maybe even directly on that missile, if it has an embedded system on it, which I guarantee they all do, if that system has a vulnerability that maybe I found on it and maybe if I decided that I wanted to use that vulnerability and install malware from that, then maybe when you press fire, it doesn't work. Wow. So um, is it only IT systems or do you look at OT systems as well? OT for sure. Yeah, okay. we have right now over at the, the booth um, is a just for demonstration purposes. We didn't do anything against it, but is a uh, satellite modem, oh, okay. and that's certainly something that's very applicable, especially in the world that we are in here in Huntsville in the DoD. And I think that kind of vulnerability access is lesser known from a, and I only say lesser known from a what you see in the media perspective. Like the sure. media is all ransomware, and you know, a school got hit with something. Right. So. Do you well, find that to be the case, or is am I off on that? And it's more common than you would think, I guess that's it. Well, to me, when those people um, deploy ransomware to your system, one of the things that I heard that they've been using is RDP, which right. is a protocol, remote mm -hmm. desktop protocol. And they have implemented or discovered a vulnerability in that protocol, and then were able to leverage that and get onto the system, and then... We, I did a talk just the other day where I was showing how we can use a vulnerability to get root access on a remote system. And once you have that root access, you and I both know, you can start, Do what you want. Yep. start en encrypting everything and yep. say, uh, hey, uh, I've got the key and you don't. Now you've been ransomware and uh, send me uh, 10 bitcoins. So the companies come to you with their hardware and say, show me my vulnerabilities? Exactly. Oh, that's awesome. So exactly. so you pull their, you, they give you their device, you pull it apart and say, exactly. here's where you're bad. Exactly. And so right now we're trying to break into the DOD space. It's kind of interesting. It's it's a very weird dynamic that I li I found myself in here okay. with Zeist. And so I've grown up in Huntsville. I've had a security clearance. I've worked for large defense contractors. But because of the skill set that we offer, we're getting all of our work out of Silicon Valley right now. Really? Yeah. So we're working. Oh, interesting. We're working with some of the big blue bloods like Amazon or maybe Google, T-Mobile. You know, some of these guys, and they're giving us their hardware, and they're like, "Hey, go find the vulnerabilities hmm. for us." Well, let me ask you this question: How how familiar are you with the super micro problem? The super micro problem. Where the Chinese embedded a little chip on the super micro board. Uh, this was a couple years ago. Okay. Doesn't I'm not ring familiar with okay, that one. No. Look at yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about it offline. So, it's, so that's a bad example. Okay. okay. So what is so from your perspective? So what got you what got you started down that road? So how did you? Because so, you're the CEO of Zeiss, you clearly started the company. That's right. So you recognize the need. Right. Right. How did you find that need? Was there were you doing that for somebody else? Say, hey, this is something that I could take and really run with. Yeah. So it was interesting, and I can't take all the credit. I have two other or three other co-owners um, that are here at Zeiss and with um, here at Cyber Summit with me. Um, but at least two or three of us knew that um, that this space existed and we just didn't see it here in Huntsville. Right. And that's what really got us going because we knew it was going to matter. And so we're happy to see like, you know, some of the big players in town like MDAA, they're actually uh, looking for pen testing to be baked into the development process, which we're really happy to see that, but that's still way off. And so we're out here trying to advocate and push and say, hey guys, you know, 
if they can do that in the commercial world on their little consumer products, then I think it's very important that we start doing that on our uh, on our weapon systems. So you, do you provide the mitigation for it too? So you find the vulnerability, then do you fix it for them, or you just say, "Here's your vulnerability, miss. Well, you best go repair that." Yeah, it can go in both ways, and that's a good question, and a lot of people have asked that today. So we'll definitely give mitigations, but at least in the commercial space, there's software development teams sitting right there working with us. Okay. And so we can say, hey guys, we found this, that, and the other thing, and they can just go fix it, lickety-split, because they've been developing the thing for the last six months or a year or whatever it may be. So what tools do you use to find the vulnerabilities? Are they open source tools that you develop them yourself, or what's the... Most are actually open source. Okay. So re really where we provide our skill set is they call this this profession security research. So there's no one ticket software that can you know, go do what Zeiston does. A lot of, there's some misconceptions out there and you can look at the 2016 DARPA Grand Challenge where uh, MIT and Raytheon and some of the other big blue bloods in research actually tried to develop AI to do exactly what we do. Um, the fail there was that they ran into what's called the traveling salesman problem, which is very atypical in computer science. But we do use open source um, tools. I actually gave a talk about it just uh, yesterday during a lightning round, and some of the big ones are Kemu for firmware emulation, uh, Binwalk, um, Ghidra, we like that a lot because the NSA developed it and it's open source, and then uh, firmware analysis toolkits are all very, very useful, and those are all very open source. So where do you see the threat environment moving? So bad guys are probably, well, let me forget it. Technology is going to continue, continue to move. Sure. And I think, hopefully, you'd like to think that hardware and the stuff that you look at is going to harden over time. Right. Maybe it won't, who knows? The software certainly is not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But where, where looking down the road, where do you th see the next threat area coming from? So, it's kind of interesting. I, I certainly feel like I see a lot of stuff moving into aviation, but I think the most applicable thing that we have here in town is we're, we try to hide behind the air gap system. Sure, sure, sure. And what I see a lot of concern is, is the supply chain risk. Um, again, that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier. Um, if I can go into um, a particular embedded product and I can open it up, um, maybe get around some anti-tamper if I have to. It gets a little bit more tricky there. Those are certainly good prevention methods, but it's clearly doable. There's some good papers out there about it and install backdoored firmware and then put it back together and do that to a hundred different products in a hundred different places and then just be patient. And then it works its way onto the system. So here's a, here's a question I just thought of. So how many of the companies come to you before they have a problem and how many come to you after they have a problem? In other words, someone already compromised their system and they're trying to figure out how did this happen? Right. As opposed to how many come and say, well, got this piece of hardware, wanna make sure it's solid. Yeah, break it for us. Unfortunately, I don't think we're the guys that are called when something has happened. <laughs> That's a good point. That's Usually, good point. it's the authorities. Yeah, but um, and and honestly, I don't think that there's many companies that want to admit anything. Yeah, that's a good right? point. Yeah. It's usually to me, it's very. It has to be public. I know that there's been a lot of um, ransomware attacks, especially that we've seen in uh, 2021, especially over the summer, which is getting crazy. Yeah, um, and those were very publicly known. However. Um, I know it's happening a lot more, and we just don't hear about it. Right. Especially in the DOD, that becomes, you know, very secretive information. Very well, at least quickly. in the DOD, they have to report it. If it happens, they have to report it to somebody. Again, we may not hear it, but the it gets reported in the public. Right. Right. Yeah. But from a, if you look at, look at private companies, I mean, we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg from private ransomware companies. I agree. Because there's so many that are saying, I'll just, you know. 
Right. Let me negotiate a payment down or my insurance will pay for it or whatever. But, right, right. You know. Yeah, we had, we actually had an um, incident where I think, if you'll remember, just this last year, the jail actually suffered from yep. a hardware attack against uh, the, those, cam- those smart cameras that Verkata developed. And uh, we actually did a quick piece with one of the new local news networks. And, uh, you know, they're like, hey, what, you know, what do you guys think about this? And we actually had a little, I think we had a little bit of authority to talk to the subject because in that moment we were literally um, pen testing smart cameras for a different known company. Okay, great. And we, we, we tried to advocate that this is preventable. Right. Now, when something happens, it's pretty tough. The data's gone. You know that. Right. right. You heard the story. I, should, I assume you've heard the story of the, the casino that got hacked through the fish yeah. thermometer. That yeah. was, yeah, fantastic. <laughs> I mean, that should be the, that should, everybody should start off with that look. Here's, right. here's, here, here's why you got to look at all this stuff. Exactly. This well, Jared, I appreciate your time. How do you get to your website? What's your website? Uh, uh, pitch your website? Yeah, it's www.zeiston-tech. T-E-C-H.com. All right. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you so Have much. Have a good one. Bye. So that's going to do it for episode 53 of the Cyber Guy podcast. I want to thank everyone for listening and for telling friends and neighbors to take a listen to the podcast and my other podcast, the Cyber Smart Podcast. The idea behind that podcast is for those folks that aren't generally well-versed or paying a lot of attention to cyber matters. It'll give them a little insight into what cyber is, what it means. It's I call it my 7 to 10 minute educational foray into this crazy thing we'll call cyber. So those are a couple things I'm doing. A couple other things, if uh, you're so interested or so inclined to take a look, I've, I'm working on, a, on a, uh, a program called the Cyber Smart Program, which is designed to provide a year's worth of education to individuals, businesses, what have you, uh, and their employees so that they can kind of stay on top of the cybersecurity matters that are impacting us on a daily basis. If you if you are so inclined to want to take a look at what that looks like, you can go to cybersmart.com. It's a free, it's a beta, I'm in a beta program. So what it's, since this is a 12 month process, I'm doing a couple of videos a month with some additional documents to read for informational purposes. It's, it's like basically a cyber 101 class. So if it's something you want to take a look at, or you think your employees may find value in, feel free to take a look at that cybersmart.com, cyber spelled C-Y-B-U are smart called is spelled the normal way.com it won't cost you anything to sign up um, and then you can access the videos you can let me know what issues are with the videos i will say there's some audio sync issues i'm using a program called open broadcast software which for some reason when i do the video it doesn't sync the voice all the time correctly it's kind of weird i'm trying to figure out why that's not working i've done it once in a zoom call as well recorded my own personal zoom call and that seemed to work a little better so i may go back to that but it's got its own issues so I'm, that's why it's braided and that's why it's free trying to find those things that work and don't work i'm also looking to create i'm probably going to create it today a cyber smart youtube channel to post videos about cyber information, kind of like what I do with the podcast, but in more shorter form and in video form, because not everybody listens to podcasts. Some folks prefer the visual learning aspect of education. Uh, I have been told I have a face for radio, so I'm not sure if doing YouTube videos is the best thing for me, but I'm going to give it a shot, see how it goes. And again, uh, feel free to let me know one way or another, whether it's bad, good, super stupid, don't waste your time, that kind of thing. So look for that to go online, hopefully sometime this Halloween weekend. As you go through your week, know knowledge is protection. Understand the threats that are targeting you, assess your risk online, and then you can proceed wisely. Thanks so much for listening. We will talk to you soon.